Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight, we chat with a lawyer from Acumen Law, Kyla Lee. Not about law, though, about mental health, specifically anorexia and her journey from denial to diagnosis to now. We also have another bio-diet checkup with Dr. David G. Harper. Maybe I didn't have an Oscar-worthy performance, but it's not the end of the world. We also have a conversation about emotional abuse, some signs to look out for, especially early on in the relationship. And finally, Ella Dresner, life skills and weight loss coach, joins us to chat about how she helps women lose weight. Good evening and welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show. So great to have you here with me this evening. And it is always my pleasure to be with you. Your health is your wealth. And through the expertise of my guest on this radio program, storytelling, along with the review of the evidence, I hope to educate you on the benefits of good health. My objective is that you are not only a little bit better informed, but healthier and happier too. And guess what? Sex and intimacy has a lot to do with your health as well. Sex facilitates... Sex facilitates... Feelings of intimacy, which does a lot more than make you feel warm and fuzzy all over. So it's time to put the kids to bed because I did mention that S word. Remember that this show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor for whatever ails you. So thank you for joining me. If you have a question for me or there's something you'd like me to cover or uncover for that matter, feel free to email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. The number to call me is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. Tonight in the program, we're talking about recognizing the early signs of emotional abuse in a relationship, something that often uh, is not recognized uh, when it should be. Also, my less than Oscar worthy bio diet performance and how to actually empower women. But right now, I want to talk about Maureen's Health Headline. According to a recent study, a shocking 65% of American women between the ages of 25 and 45 have disordered eating behaviors. That research done out of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, published in Self Magazine. Joining me in the studio is Kyla Lee. She is a DUI lawyer at Acumen Law. Good evening, Kyla. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. We're actually going to be talking about your personal story with an eating disorder. Um, I guess that would fall under disordered eating. Yes. Um, And many, many women, as I mentioned, do experience disordered eating. What are eating disorders? They are illnesses in which the people experience severe disturbances in their eating behaviors and related thoughts and emotions. People with eating disorders typically become preoccupied with food and their body weight. And this can become very extreme, Kyla. And I wanted to say right out of the gates, congratulations to you on your journey. You shared your story on social media. Thanks so much for joining me in the studio. Um, I really feel that when we share our stories, we empower others, especially women and girls. Um, And so thank you so much. Um, So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, eating disorders, the different types? There are a lot of different types of eating disorders, um, but sort of the major ones that most people hear about are anorexia, bulimia, and then uh, orthorexia, which is other types of disordered eating. And there's also um, essentially a a form of eating disorder that involves too much exercise to burn off the calories that a person consumes. Those are sort of the four main ones that you might encounter. Okay. And so when they're exercising too much, um, I suppose it would be worse if they were not eating enough calories. So that combination could actually be pretty deadly. 
Yes, absolutely. And what you often see is people who are eating, you know, a small amount of calories and exercising so that they end up with a net calorie deficit, um, which can produce really negative effects in their bodies. It takes a toll on the heart, it takes a toll on the muscles, it takes a toll on the bones. Um, and it's something that you wouldn't necessarily associate with disordered eating or having an eating disorder because you see somebody who presents as being very physically fit who's active, who's participating in activities, and who looks like they're capable of taking on the world. But are they particularly thin necessarily? Would that would they have that appearance or not always sometimes it can present um in individuals as as being particularly thin or just being very very fit like having a lot of of muscle but no fat Mm -hmm. um and you know we've we've all seen that body type and we know that um in some circumstances that can be healthy and in some circumstances that can be disordered absolutely and in my clinical practice i certainly have come across this especially for women who have been in relationships where they have not felt control maybe they were suffering with emotional abuse And I remember one woman who told me that she was afraid to lick a postage stamp because she felt it had calories. This anorexia and bulimia, these types of eating disorders can lead to some very unusual, uh, if not bizarre, behaviors that makes it difficult to comprehend. It does. And you can usually tell if you're around a person a lot that they've developed uh, an eating disorder, but because of the progression of the disease, you can't necessarily identify it as it's happening. So by the time you clue into the fact that somebody is disordered, it's already too late. They're so far down that pathway that they need a lot more help than you can just give to deter them from, from that direction. What would be some of the early signs that that may have been missed in, in your case or in, the, or in other people's cases? I mean, skipping meals uh, is a big one or frequent trips to the bathroom immediately after eating or within 15 or 20 minutes of eating. That's, you know, if, if you're looking at somebody who's bulimic, um, that would be indicative of purging behavior. Um, for people who are using laxatives uh, for the purposes of purging, um, frequent trips to the bathroom, usually at times where they're not working, like in the night, um, going to the bathroom six or seven or eight times, uh, that would be very common behavior. And for people suffering from anorexia, you know, eliminating certain foods without any reasonable explanation from their diet, which for me, that was what I started doing. I just started cutting out food groups and food colors and food shapes and and all sorts of different things until there was not much left that I could eat. And was moving the food around on the plate another sign? That's absolutely one of the signs. You tend to, if you have one of these disorders, develop mechanisms to make it look like you're eating when you're actually not eating. So cutting your food up into small pieces, moving it around on your plate, you know, feeding things to the dog when nobody's looking. Um, I mean, all of this is is a classic symptom, eating a couple bites and then being too busy and having to leave to go do something, you know, pushing the meal back, um, not being available at mealtimes. All of those things are common signs. And now I know in hospitals, for example, um, oftentimes patients who have been admitted at a dangerously low weight that will have an effect on their heart. That's how um, most most people with anorexia die. Um, They may... They're they're trying to reintroduce the food, but they may actually hide the food in their body, in their cheeks, in different orifices. Yes, or even around the room. You know, you can hide your food, you know, under your mattress or hide your food inside a book. I mean, there's there's a million places, and and somebody with an eating disorder is going to outthink you when it comes to where they can hide things, how they can conceal that they're not eating, and do everything that they can to get rid of the food or get rid of the calories because there's this voice in their head that's telling them if you eat that food or if you keep those calories in your body, 
things will not be good for you, whether it's not be good for you in something you're trying to achieve, whether it's a relationship, whether it's whatever it is, that's sort of the underlying cause that this voice is going to push them to continue with that behavior. So causes, let's get to causes. What causes this, in fact? This is a really big question that's not resolved in any research. Um, there's a, a sort of a school of thought that thinks that eating disorders are usually caused by an underlying unaddressed emotional issue. And they're by and large successfully treated using cognitive behavioral therapy. But there's also a genetic component. There have been studies done where groups of people were put on restrictive calorie diets and and essentially were eating the same as somebody who, who is anorexic. Um, and they studied the group on that calorie diet for a long period of time and found that consistent with the proportion of the population that has an eating disorder, people who were on those diets developed eating disorders having been put on the diets, which led the researchers to conclude that there was actually something genetic, that it was triggered in a person's brain from being deprived of nutrition that activated the disorder in them. And so that is something to do with starving. It is, basically. Yes. Um, some people uh, feel there's a school of thought that this is a well a psychological condition. Um, the American Psychiatry Association deals with it under under um, their guidelines. Um, what are some of those uh, reasons potentially for? And as you say, it's complex and we don't really understand. But type A, for example, one of the reasons I think that people are sort of more predisposed to having eating disorders is is sort of a quest for perfectionism um, and a lot of pressure that they put on themselves. Like you say, type A people who are high achievers. You see uh, commonly among people with eating disorders, they're generally people of very high intelligence or very high achievement who are, um, are, are working towards something quite significant in their lives. You know, for me, it, it got the worst when I was trying to write the bar exam <laughs> and while I was in my first year of a lawyer, of being a lawyer. Um, and and these are the type of people that typically you see having eating disorders. Now, off air, we spoke a little bit about um, law school for you and how you looked around and you saw other people who looked like you yeah. <laughs> and kind of behaved like you food-wise. And maybe you came to the conclusion that, hey, you're all in this together. This is how you're supposed to be. It was sort of something that you could look around the room and you see these highly competitive people. Uh, they're all very thin and attractive and not eating. And it, it did fuel for me a lot of that, the, the sort of that quest to be the best at being sick, which is a horrible thing to say. But it is, I, I think, something that we were all, all many of the people in, in my law school class thinking. And since I've come out with my confession, I've heard from a lot of people that I know professionally that have said, you know, yeah, I've struggled with this as well. Now, it's not just women who become lawyers, men become lawyers as well. And many people have the false idea that men don't get anorexia or bulimia, but that's not true. That's absolutely not true. Men suffer it, uh, I think, at a much higher rate than most people uh, think. It's probably about 30% of all cases of eating disorders are um, involve men. Wow, that's very significant. Uh, we're going to go to the break right now, but uh, you've been so gracious as to agree to stay in the studio and share your own personal story and, and who helped you and, and how that um, how your life is today. And uh, so thank you so much. I'm with Kyla Lee. She's a DUI lawyer talking about her disordered eating. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I am joined in the studio, if you're just joining me, by Kyla Lee. She is a 
lawyer, a DUI lawyer at Acumen Law, and she's sharing her story about her own personal journey with anorexia. So, Kyla, thank you once again so much. Congratulations on um, beating this or living with this. (laughs) Yes, Um, because it's not easy, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there um, who are suffering or who may know somebody who is suffering. So, so tell me a little bit about your own personal journey with anorexia. I mean, I think it was something I always had. Like it was always in me when I would get stressed, I would stop eating. And people always thought that that was just my response to stress. But as I got older, it sort of morphed into something a lot more sinister where I was not just not eating when I was stressed, but also developing strategies to actively not eat the rest of the time. I would do things like I would give my lunches away at school. I'd give my lunch to the teacher. I'd give my lunch to my friends. Um, I would stay late at school so I could skip dinner and skip having a snack after school. Um, And I would do all of these things to avoid having to eat anything and to avoid consuming any calories. And that's when things started to get sort of go down the dark path that I ended up on for a long, long time. And, and how old were you when that dark path started, would you say? Probably around 15 years around old. 15. Yeah. And were you also doing incredibly well in high school? And <laughs> uh, Yes. In top grades? <laughs> yep, yep, I was. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so then you go to university and mm-hmm. then you end up in law school. Yes. Um, and, and so law school puts a particular type of pressure on individuals. It does. And in law school, things got you know worse than they'd been for a long uh, time, particularly because there was a lot of stress, but also there was a lot of opportunity to not have to eat because you could go to social events and you could drink instead of eating. You mm-hmm. could, you know, you could do all of these things to avoid food, and you didn't have a set schedule, so there was no specific meal time that you had to deal with. And by the end of of law school, and when I was writing the bar exam, I basically just never had to eat at all. And and does it matter? Um, how low did your weight go? And did you ever end up hospitalized? Did you have an impact on your heart, your teeth? Yeah, I mean, I, I dipped down to under 100 pounds and I'm 5'7", so that's incredibly skinny. Um, I was uh, in a, an intake program at St. Paul's Hospital scheduled to go into their inpatient program, um, but I, I pulled the plug uh, out of fear of losing my eating disorder, essentially. I, I told myself it wasn't the right program for me, but I know now it was not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my first year as a lawyer, I ended up um, hospitalized in Winnipeg uh, at the West Wind Eating Disorder Recovery Center. And was somebody helped you um, on that journey? That was my my boss, Paul Doroshenko. Um, he, my disorder got so bad um, that I lost control of it. And you know, everything that I'd been doing to have control over everything by using food ended. And now I was like this emotional wreck. I was crying all the time. Like littlest thing would set me off. I was weak. I was skin and bones. And he said, look, Kyla, like you can't keep going like this. You have to start eating 1500 calories a day. You have to go to this program. I found it for you. I've bought you plane tickets. I've bought you, um, you know, the admission to the program. I'm going to pay for it you have to go. And he made me sign a contract in his office. That Makes you want to cry. <laughs> it, it did at the time. I cried a lot. I can imagine. I'm crying now. Wow. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, ultimately you had to do the work, but that was really the wind beneath your wings that said, you know, go and we'll still have you. Yeah. And he was the, I think the only person in my life who really recognized that I had a problem and figured out a way to help me. Lots of other people knew, but they didn't know what to do. So they just kind of left it. Right. Did they know you had 
this eating disorder? Did they know you what the problem was? Could they name it? Eventually, yeah, because it became so obvious looking at me that, you know, this person obviously has anorexia. Right, right. And did friends or family say something to you? And People would pull me aside and they'd tell me, oh, you need to eat or, you know, you need to give your head a shake and, and get out of this. Right. But there was no way. That Just that stop work. this. <laughs> um, so what, uh, what kind of help? What was the treatment program like? Um, well, it was very immersive. So it was all day, every day. Um, we had uh, like group therapy sessions. We had individual therapy sessions dealing with cognitive behavioral therapy. We had workbooks that we had to do and we had meals. And the really beneficial part of it was that the meals were group meals. So we had an actual kitchen. We went in, we did grocery shopping together. We learned how to prepare food. We had consultations with nutritionists, but the nutritionists were not forcing us to eat a specific diet. So we got to have control over what we were eating mm-hmm. and learn how to do it in a healthy way. Right. When, when you're starving your brain like that, you're actually not making good decisions either. So it's yeah. a bit of a vicious cycle, is it not? It is. And especially the more certain nutrients you starve your brain of, the worse your emotions get. So if you're not having you know, protein every day, which I'd completely eliminated from my diet, then you're right. not going to make good emotional thinking decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's just amazing. What would you say to somebody out there listening who has someone that they love that may be suffering from this or somebody who's suffering from this? For somebody who's suffering from this, I would say, you know, there's something in your head right now that's telling you that if you try and get recovery and get better, that your life is not going to be the same, that it's going to be worse. And that's absolutely not true. That was my biggest fear, that my Mm -hmm. life would go off the rails if I started eating. When your life was off the rails, it sounds like. Yeah. (laughs) No, my life is really good. You know, I love my job. That's great. You (laughs) You look great. Thank you. Um, Yes. And and how can somebody help um, somebody else? Reach out to somebody who's a professional in this area because mm-hmm. eating disorders are tricky. Um, Wonderful. And where can people find your blog? Uh, KyloLee.ca. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. What a heartfelt story. Welcome back to this Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. It seems like we have a bit of a common theme tonight. We're focusing now on nutrition. Nutrition, which is good for your brain and good for your energy level, good for your sleep. And joining me once again in the studio on our little 12 week bio diet journey is David G. Harper. He is the author of The Bio Diet. And we are here to discuss my perhaps less than Oscar worthy performance of The Bio Diet, but it <laughs> wasn't bad. But, you know, it little, is Oscar night. <laughs> one little M&M fest, that was all. That wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, you know, and, and you kind of can fall off. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah. You fall off and you get back on. You well, know. Tell, tell me about that. Fest, M&M Fest. Somebody, somebody gave you one or you passed one? Because like, it's the psychology that interests me. Like what made you eat the first one and then could you stop or was it just, okay, well, I'm eating the whole bag? I love M&Ms and okay. I was instructed to eat all the green ones. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm not saying. Okay. Any- <laughs> so one of the things we mentioned in the book is that not everybody is going to be your friend on this journey, this right? They'll, they'll tell that. you, you should they know. They might have ulterior motives. Just have a little bit, Maureen. It'll be fine. Just have a little, a little bit that can hurt you. Exactly. Anything in moderation, you I, know, those yeah. are, those are some of the traps. I wouldn't pass, put it past this person that uh, he may have had an ulterior motive. Okay. Anyway, but uh, it doesn't take much to convince me to no. eat some M&M. <laughs> well, speaking of sweet things. Yes. Uh, it's Valentine's Day. Valentine's We're all going to have trouble. On Friday, right? Is Valentine's Day, I think? Fourteenth. Uh, yes, it's the fourteenth. Okay. Yeah. Yep, so, it is. So, and that, and and these, if it's not Valentine's Day or we just had Christmas or it's Easter, whatever. There's these uh, sugar vacations, sugar holidays we have one after another. Exactly. And it's part of the culture thing. And and what you have to remember, Valentine's Day in particular, is kind of an. Inv- 
an invented event to make you eat food that they're trying to sell you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're engaged with the bio diet and you're trying to make your way through and, and really wean yourself off sugar, um, remember you can, there are, there are other sweeteners you can use, but if you do slip and have an M&M this Friday, <laughs> M&M fest, <laughs> just try to avoid making a bad problem worse. So if you have one, don't say, okay, that's it. I've, you know, I, I'm off the horse. I'm just going to eat this whole bag of whatever right, m and right, yeah. Have one and just say, okay, I had one. It's no big deal. Or maybe in advance, we had, we talked about these uh, diabetic candies that you can get at the, at the pharmacy. Um, you know, they taste sweet. And they're they, pretty, I love them. They're yeah, fantastic. They're Those are great. But yeah. when somebody presents you with them, and I will say this in terms of the psychology, I felt I was doing great on it. I felt mm-hmm. great. You know, I didn't feel bloated or I ate too much or anything. I felt amazing. And Good. I also felt like, ah, sure. You know what? What harm can this do? This is a little reward for me. And I was yeah. tired, you know. But and you so, did say you got a little bit of the Harper High this week. I did. I got some Harper High. Well, uh, define that. Well, tell, I just tell. feel great the yeah. last, you know, the last few days. I feel yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and, that, and that's the one thing that all the people I've counseled, uh-huh. not everybody loses weight, not everybody reverses their diabetes, but everybody, everybody I've counseled that is stuck with it, at the end still says, I just feel great. Like right. even if nothing else happened, I just feel great. And that's your brain adapting to this new fuel, which is a very good fuel. Yeah, so. yeah. So I feel fantastic, full of energy, yeah. you know, probably that clarity that, you know, I, I didn't think I was foggy before, but maybe I was, but because well, I bit. feel particularly But let's talk about, uh, do you have a question there? I do, I have a okay, question. Sure, it was let's, about let's um, somebody said, would it be okay in their particular, um, you know, caramel, it wasn't a caramel macchiato, but it was something <laughs> like that, in their coffee drink yep. for from um, Starbucks, I think it was. Uh, th- was was it okay to have whole milk versus almond milk? Uh, sure, a little bit. Uh, what I would recommend is cream. Okay. So uh, it's called a brevet with coffee. So that's uh, oh, that's cream. good to know. Yeah, and uh, I use full fat cream like whipping cream in mm-hmm. tea and that sort of thing. And so you don't need very much. And the interesting thing is whipping cream tricks your taste buds. We talked about last week. It'll actually taste right. a little bit sweet too. So you don't need to use any sweetener now. If you do want to use a sweetener and not use sugar, because sugar is a real problem because it contains fructose, and fructose, when it's metabolizes, causes all kinds of issues that are all negative. So one of the things we'd like you to do is wean yourself off the need for sweet things. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, you just have that craving, right? Right. Or you might want to prepare a particular type of food that has to be sweetened. Like I can make these, I'll bring you some brownies one of these weeks. Okay, and they're, they're when I bring good. you my, your dish back. Yes, when, you get, when I get my dish back. <laughs> I'm obviously right. not that clear, I keep forgetting the dish. <laughs> yeah, brownies are my absolute favorite food in the whole wide world. Okay, so I'll, I'll make you the keto brownies. Okay, and, and they're, um, But they, I use xylitol in that. Now xylitol is one of a number of, uh, they're, called, they're, they're called sugar alcohols, but they're neither sugars nor alcohols. They're called polyols in chemistry. And, and they are natural because they, uh, xylitol comes from either birch trees or, or fruit. Um, and it measures like sugar, tastes like sugar. It's great. Uh, it won't leaven, you know, bread or anything because it isn't sugar. Uh, the one caveat there is, well, two caveats. One is, um, don't let your dog eat it because dogs can't metabolize it. So like chocolate, it can, can be poisonous right. to dogs. Okay. So if you're the type of person that, you know, drops things on the floor and the dog comes and gobbles it, yes. <laughs> be careful. So... <laughs> It also can ferment because it does have some calories, so it can ferment. And for some people, they'll get a bit of gas or something. It usually passes after a while, but um, if that's the case, there's another one called erythritol. And erythritol um, is, it doesn't 
uh, there's no calories in there. It doesn't uh, digest at all. So, but some people, like my wife, think it has kind of a, a really minty, strong aftertaste. Mm-hmm. The same kind of thing you get in uh, another natural sweetener called stevia. So there's right. stevia, there's monk fruit. Those are both natural sweeteners that are not sugar. Um, if you get stevia, try and get organic stevia because the you know the the, the solvents they use to 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 get the stevia out of the plant uh, can be pretty nasty if it's not organic. Um, monk fruit's another one that's a gourd from Asia, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the artificial sweeteners, and I would avoid those. Those are the aspartames, the mm-hmm. sucralose. Those are actually artificial chemicals, and uh, one way or another, they're not a good thing for your body. One of the things that I see when I look at the, I'm a member of a lot of different um, Facebook uh, keto groups and so on. There's an awful lot of dessert recipes. I'm just seeing it overwhelmed with dessert recipes. And so for the listeners out there, one of the things I would suggest is think about this because you, you really are trying to wean yourself off that need for sugar. And even if you're using a sugar substitute, it's still tricking your brain and it, and, and, you know, from, from, from birth, we're giving our <laughs> we're giving our babies baby formula sugar in it, right? And so our brains are wired up to need sugar, and then we end up with these carbohydrate issues. And you know, thankfully, you can use a ketogenic diet. But part of the thing I'd like people to do is to try and wean themselves off that need for sweet things all the time. And you can you substitute things that are high fat, and they're mm-hmm. much more satisfying. And if you're following the bio diet out there, and you have any issues or anything you'd like to share, the number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. You can always email me, and I'll forward it on to the good doctor, nurse talk at hotmail.com. So by this time, should we have changed our metabolism mm-hmm. if we're into four or five solid weeks of 90%? Yeah. And it's, you know, two weeks of pretty hardcore low carb. So most people, probably three quarters of people, but will have changed their metabolism now. So I, I kind of like to use the, you know, the cabin in the woods analogy where you have the, your metabolism is like this fire and all you've been doing with this high-carb diet is putting kindling on the fire all the time. So now you're putting these logs on the fire, the high-fat diet. And, and that uh, sort of provides a longer, more steadier amount of um, energy. Uh, and one of the great uh, side effects of that is you just don't get as hungry as you used to do. Like that really, mm-hmm. like I must eat something. You just, I, I just don't feel that anymore. I still get right. hungry and I still enjoy food, but I don't get that real craving for food, which is great. Um, and, and so uh, what, you, what you can do now, if you have seen a rise in ketones in those keto strips and you have experienced the Harper High, you think you've bioadapted, as we call it, mm-hmm. you can now start adding little bits of higher carbohydrate food back into your diet. I'm going to hold you there because sure. I'm going to, we're going to head to break and I'm going to ask you to uh, tell us what we can add in this. This sounds very exciting. I don't think it's green M&Ms. I'm Maureen McGrath <laughs> and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. Joining me in the studio is David G. Harper, PhD, author of The Bio Diet, and we're catching up on your progress in mine and the changes that we can make each week. So David, before the break, you mentioned that we could add a few things mm-hmm. to our plan right. this week. So, <laughs> we're, and we're especially on to step four. With, with Valentine's Day, but no, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, step four. So, what uh, can we add? Step four is step four. I call bio rejuvenation because it's, it lasts for most of the rest of the bio diet until we decide what to do at the end of it. But you will actually, in terms of the biomarkers, typically you can wind your biological clock back by as much as ten years. Uh, all the numbers start to go in the right direction. So that's why I call it biorejuvenation. And so from the last 
when we last had our <laughs> last episode, we were really cutting carbohydrates down very, very low. So we were. So now we're going to add some back in, but slowly and specifically. So some of the things you have been eating a little bit of, like nuts and cheese, you can start eating a little bit more of that. We're kind of limiting that to like a ramekin sort of right. amount. Um, one of the things I really encourage people to eat that that is a bit sweet and does have some sugar and fructose is berries. And berries are just so packed with phytochemicals. They're just so valuable. And if you get the right kinds of berries, which is really blackberries, which aren't particularly sweet, mm-hmm. uh, blueberries, which are really good for your brain, and strawberries, which have high fiber and so on, um, those three in particular, you know, and again, a ramekin-sized cup or so, even mm-hmm. every day is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it will raise your uh, blood sugar a little bit. So the best time to eat that is in the morning because that's when your insulin sensitivity is the highest. So it'll have the, the, the least uh, negative impact there. Um, also, good news, you can add in some uh, squash, like summer squash, and okay. uh, just little bits of it, not too much. It, it, it's not a root vegetable, it grows above the ground, so but it kind of substitutes well. And we should probably do one whole show on just what you can do with, with cauliflower. Cause you know, I, things with should, cauliflower. Should, I saw a cauliflower avocado sandwich the other day. Yeah. How about spaghetti squash? Okay? Uh, yeah, the summer squashes are better. Spaghetti squash is particularly good. And you can you can actually use that like spaghetti and put tomato sauce exactly. on it. Exactly. And then put your Parmesan cheese or whatever you want on there. Okay. That's a good one. We eat that. So we quite can a lot. have tomato sauce on yeah. this. Yeah, yes. Yeah, okay. Bit. I was yeah. I, I did have a tomato today. And um, the other good news, well, I know you don't imbibe too much, but you can now have your no, glass but of I might. wine. <laughs> this could drive me to drink. <laughs> you can have your glass of wine with dinner. I'm and I say forward. I say wine. Now white wine's a little you want to be drinking dry wine for sure. And white wine's a little better than red wine. They will have between four and six grams of carbs. So you don't I want agree. to have more than a glass. I like burrowing owl if you want to yeah. send me a bottle. Mm, I'm happy oh, with lovely. that. <laughs> yeah, we I, can I have, have to, a whole episode about that. I have too, to drink expensive wine. Yes. <laughs> then I get less of a hangover. And we have beautiful wines here in BC now, so it's great. Yes. Especially those Naramata bench we wines. We do, so. and some real cheapos from South Africa. But yeah. anyway, um, okay, so and people beer, can add can wine d- in. You can so add wine in. It. And how there much are, wine? Because people are drinking... Well, I would say no more than two glasses. A day. With, with your meal, yeah. Okay, um, that's pretty good. Yeah. Because so it, many people say, can you have wine? That's yeah, a big question. Because well, so, you know what? This is the bio diet, right? So right, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's designed to make it more sustainable, more livable. And I'm my own experiment. I get my blood done all the time and that sort of thing. I know right. I'm in ketosis. So yes, you can drink wine. You can have the odd beer, but the, you know they have these low-carb, they're, they're normal alcohol, but low-carb beers. They're, they're, unfortunately, they're kind of dreadful tasting, but they're like uh, Normal lagery. alcohol, low-carb. How about the low-alcohol, yeah. normal-carb? No. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they haven't got that one figured out yet. But, okay. Um, so, you know, I usually have those beers when it's hot, you know, I'll have one of those. And, and I right. have actually personally experimented with Guinness, and if I have been exercising and I have a Guinness, it actually doesn't affect my ketone levels, but that may... I, I have like two guinea a year. <laughs> so how much do you exercise? I exercise a lot. Um, but you don't, you sh- this is another good point, actually. Thank you for mentioning that mm-hmm. because you can now start exercising. And the best thing to do is, now I'm part Italian. And mm-hmm. so in Italy, they call it the passaggetta, which is a, a stroll after yes. your meal. So right. you should, after every meal, whether you're eating two or three a day or even some of the people are eating one, 
Definitely, even if it's just a walk around the block. Right, 10 minutes. You mentioned that in the bio diet book. Mm -hmm. So even if it's just a walk around the block, if you have a dog, good time to walk the dog or whatever, or if you're just walking to the bus to get to work or whatever, but but after every meal, rather than just sitting there, uh, get up and walk around a bit. What that does is it tells your body through insulin to burn any calories that you've taken in that are carbohydrates rather than store them. It's a signal to your body. Uh, And it's very effective. And it's in so many cultures too, to go for that stroll after dinner. Absolutely, except the North American culture. We like to sit in front of the TV because that's where we're having dinner <laughs> we anyway, do, we right? We do, <laughs> Netflix are on, come on. Absolutely. As a, a friend uh, emailed me or texted me and he said, I can't, I'm not sure I can meet tomorrow. My daughter, um, you know, is sick. She has a fever, so she's staying home. I'll be staying home with her and, from preschooler. And uh, so then he said, um, uh, you know, I said, oh, I hope she feels better. And he said, well, if Netflix is anything, you know, she's had many, many doses of that. And I said, well, Netflix seems to have saved many marriages. And now it's also the cure for the common cold as well in children. Um, absolutely. So we do have a tendency to be sedentary. And, yeah. and and I find a lot of women, I see a lot of women in my clinical practice who are in the perimenopausal years, the menopausal years, they mm-hmm. pack on the weight, especially mm-hmm. in the middle. And it's partly... It's that cortisol skirt, right? That's right. Yeah. And that, that muffin top. And yep. it's partly due to, I think, that they... They have slowed down their exercise. They want sure. to blame menopause and that, yeah, sure. That's a, you know, there's a change to the hormones and that's part of it. And you might be busy with kids and jobs and climbing the corporate ladder, um, but, and stress and whatever. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, you got to get up and move. You got to get up and I move. Think, and eat yep. properly. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. And and so so if you do want to exercise, you can start exercising again. I sort of advise against it for that couple of weeks that we're adapting. But um, listen, the, for, the, for the other foods, um, on our website, biodiet.org, uh, if you click on the resources tab and then go to tools, we have a grocery list. And that grocery list tells you all the foods you can eat in any of the phases of the bio diet. So, mm-hmm. so you can just kind of buy from that list. It's an awfully... Uh, robust list of foods and lots of fruits and vegetables, well, berries and vegetables in there. They're mostly vegetables and then any manner of meat and so on and dairy. Um, and also in there, there's another tab for the uh, sweeteners. So it'll give you a rundown on those different sweeteners. Mm-hmm. But one one of the things that we want to avoid now is, okay, I've lost 10 or 15 pounds. I feel pretty good. I'm going to go back to the way I was eating before. Right. Now, the problem with that is, well, first of all, you've, you, you, the biodiet is a, is a healthier way to eat for most people. So you want to, it's to, it's to avoid chronic disease or maybe treat it if you have it. This is That's not the a real weight goal. loss it's not thing. A, well, it, you it, will lose weight. It but, is. But and it, people come to it for weight, but we don't want them just to lose weight. Exactly. Right? It's to be healthier. Yeah. And so what can happen if you go on and off diets, we call it yo-yo dieting, is every time you go on the diet, and if it's calorie restricted in particular, your body's saying, okay, it's a, it's a famine time. So we've got to preserve calories and it triggers those thrifty genes so that when you start eating again, then it goes, okay, now it's feast time, but you'll start storing fat just like a bear would do or anything when they come out of hibernation, you know, now that now they're going to store fat because they're going to need it for the next time there's a right. famine. And, and this yo-yo dieting really messes up your hormones, leptin and ghrelin. It also triggers these thrifty genes. And ultimately people that go on and off diets end up gaining weight over time. Ultimately, yeah. So... You know, the important thing here is that, and the reason why this is about eight weeks, this phase, is is it takes about six weeks to develop new habits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things we do is, you know, if you cross your arms like that, you know, you cross one over the other, try doing it the other way. It feels so weird. Right. But if you just do that every day for six weeks, it mm-hmm. will feel completely normal. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're rewiring your brain for this new behavior. So that's kind of the psychology of the six to eight weeks is to 
is to start developing these healthier eating habits that you can stick with. And you'll find the foods are satisfying so that you don't have those sweet cravings anymore. Mm -hmm. And I will say that there has been a reduction in my food bill. Yeah. Because I'm, you know, no processed foods whatsoever are coming into the house. I may not be allowed in the house soon, but um, (laughs) lots of more vegetables and fruits and chicken. And, you know, I'm not a huge meat eater, but, you know, the occasional steak. Never hurt anybody. In fact, it's good for you, you say. A little little bit of fruit. You know, you have a little slice. Think of like apple or something like that as as like a candy. So just have a little bit of it maybe after dinner, a little tiny slice. Don't eat a whole apple. Somebody, oh, well, I have eaten the whole apple. And somebody (laughs) said... You look like you are so enjoying that apple. I said, I am. (laughs) Um, So that's great. Uh, So it does take us, it's going to take us a little while to keep this going. Yeah. So so in the coming weeks, we'll talk about the various issues that come up. Some of the psychological issues, some of the trips and uh, tricks and, um, and, and, and uh, pitfalls and and so on. And and good luck to everybody out there with uh, Valentine's Day coming up Mm because candy may not be the drug of choice for Valentine's Day. It may be jewelry instead or a new car or something like that. I'm that kidding. That would be nice. I'm kidding. Just give your heart. Just be right. kind. That's it. Well, it's does, about love. So yes, love yourself. It and is. if you love your body, you won't fill it full of sugar. That's a great way to end this. Thank you so much, David, for joining me again. Oh, You'll be pleasure. back next week. Where can people, the website? Biodiet.org. And you can uh, email me there, uh, info or david at biodiet.org. And we'd be happy to answer any questions next week on air. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We've got Andrew behind the boards, as, uh, which is fantastic. As usual, um, I want to talk about emotional abuse in a relationship. And now many, many people suffer emotional abuse in relationships. But quite frankly, very few people recognize, that's my understanding, they very few people recognize the early signs of emotional abuse. So I don't think I can talk about emotional abuse unless I address conflict. Conflict is actually a normal part of any relationship. And this is a very healthy way for two people to express their emotions, identify an issue, talk it through, agree to disagree, whatever. Nobody is ever going to get along 100%. And I worry about those couples too. But emotional abuse involves the non-physical behavior that belittles another person and may include insults, putting someone down, verbal threats, or other tactics that make the victim feel inferior or ashamed or degraded or nervous or anxious. So when is conflict actually not conflict? When is conflict actually emotional abuse? Now, somebody might try to tell you that there's something wrong with you and you can never be good enough. You can never be address their needs. You just don't know how to deal with somebody who has this particular issue, whatever their issue they claim to be. Maybe you don't know how to deal with somebody who has depression or maybe you don't know how to deal with somebody who, you know, enjoys drinking or whatever. But that can also be a part of it. And so the one that I wanted to start on first is one that I think is is critical 
because people can be hypercritical or judgment, judgmental toward you. So it's a little bit of human nature to actually judge. Um, we've all done it before or critique, but in those emotionally abusive situations, someone takes it to the next level. And so the when it's emotional abuse, you might be at a dinner party and they might put you down in front of everyone else at the party. They may humiliate you or, or embarrass you and then just sort of walk away as though nothing happened. They may use their sarcasm uh, like uh, to very high levels in terms of jokes or teasing that make you feel badly about yourself. You might be scratching your head a lot. This person is supposed to love me and yet they're driving me crazy. They may have an opinion about a lot of what you say or you think or you do. I had a woman in my clinical practice and, and I just happened to say to her, I like your skirt. And she said, her first response is initial of meeting her. She said, thanks. It used to have a fringe on it, but my husband uh, likes it better. So I cut it off. And it's like you're under somebody's thumb and it can be very damaging because people who are in relationships with people who are emotionally abusive are at risk of their mental health uh, faltering. So there's a big risk here. So, um, so for example, if a person you're, that you love, that you're in a, a relationship with, is upset, if you don't agree with them always, you know, they might say something like, you know, we should be on the same page or we are one, or they might be upset about how you dress or how you spend your time or who you spend your time with or what you're interested in. So these are things to look out for. Financial control, that's something else. The other thing that has really come in the last probably decade or so um, is around privacy and breach of privacy. Now, I'm no lawyer, but I often have them on the show and I, you know, I'm at liberty. I I have lots of friends who are and I can often ask them these questions. Um, So when somebody ignores boundaries or invades your privacy, uh, it may be, and, and once you brought that to their attention, it may be signs of emotional abuse. So we all have the right to our own space. We have the right to privacy. Caroline Kennedy wrote a great book on that. But it sometimes can be tricky to distinguish between the thrill of the new relationship or connection and a violation of your space because you may feel you want to spend all of your time, you want to give everything to this person. This can look like your partner. So they want to move a relationship faster than you are comfortable with. Or you might actually think, this is great. This person is just so head over heels in love with me. This is amazing. They might say, I love you very quickly. They might pressure you to do the same. Um, They may push you to engage in sexual activities or push you to move in together uh, faster than you normally would because they can't live without you. So there's often this, this rush of love that comes, but then you've maybe have shared your tech, your uh, passwords with them, which I do not, I am not a proponent of. Uh, But if you happen to know your partner's uh, password, because that's their password for everything, I do not expect you to check their text messages or email. So when someone, your partner checks your text messages, email or social media accounts without your permission, they are actually ignoring your boundaries. They are crossing over personal boundaries and you are well within your rights to say, do not do that. 
when people are controlling or possessive of you and they want to restrict your behavior through these unreasonable acts of jealousy, like monitoring your actions, where are you, um, you know, texting you repeatedly or constantly or constantly calling you, getting upset when you want to go out with your friends or you want to go out with your family or they try to actually isolate you from people that you care about or activities that you enjoy, like going to the gym or going out with friends. Um, and also when they demand access to your phone, which I, I mentioned earlier, and I don't think we can say that enough. Uh, a healthy relationship is one that is trusting. And so there's no w- reason you should go into there. If you have a trusting relationship, there's absolutely no reason that you need to go in or hack their account or steal their password or or if they're pressuring you, you do not, that's a red flag, do not give away your passwords. I don't care if you're married to them or not, or you've been living together or whatever. And, and you know what? Somebody might say, can you check a time on this or whatever? This is my password. Fair enough. Go ahead, go in the phone, check it, whatever. But that doesn't give you license to constantly check your partner's uh, text messages or emails. When a person is manipulative, because an, this can be a sign of emotional abuse. Emotionally abusive people may try to uh, get you to do what they want. Uh, so they may, for example, withdraw affection from you or blame you or ignore you or exclude you or put you on a guilt trip or make you doubt yourself or gaslight you. They might say um, something that's upsetting. You might get upset about it. And then they might deny that they actually ever even said that. And you might think, I'm going crazy because I know that person said that. And it can be women who are emotionally abusive and men can be emotionally abusive as well. But we do actually see uh, women uh, more of the targets of this emotional abuse. And oftentimes one of the women in my clinical practice said, I can't believe me of all people is in this situation because she's a strong person. She's a professional. She's actually a physician. And she um, said, you know, she's strong. She's competent. She's a, she's a high powered surgeon. And she was in this emotionally abusive relationship. And I said, you know, nobody is immune to this and, and you're actually a very good target. She happened to be a happy person, a sunny personality, very competent, serious, uh, successful. And I said, you know, this person wants to take put out your light for their darkness. And so remember that if you're feeling like, hey, I was a happy person before and now I'm like watching my every step and, you know, things aren't feeling right in the relationship, it's not going to get better unless they get intensive therapy. So they may dismiss you and your feelings. So the abuser might try to play down your emotions or feelings by saying that you're too sensitive. That's a very popular one. Or making fun of your achievements and your dreams and your hopes like that'll never happen. You'll never do that. Um, if you share something that you maybe, you know, would like to try out for or a particular type of schooling that you would like to go to, they might say, you'll never be good at that or you'll never get in. Um, they also, they'll talk a lot about, um, sort of the issues, but they don't really talk about or take responsibility for their actions. So they'll, they'll have you, you'll feel like you're on like the hamster treadmill is what one woman described it to me. They go over and over and over the same thing again and again and again, and it never gets resolved. And they often blame you or someone else for their actions because why? Because it's never their fault. And so until 
anyone takes responsibility with anything, nothing will change. And you know what? Nobody is perfect, except, of course, you know who. No, um, nobody is perfect. And the best thing you can do is when you make a mistake is actually, you know, apologize to the person and make it right. And and so emotional abusers cannot do that. And they're often indifferent to your feelings. So I think that if you know somebody who is needing help, um, I can, uh, there's a number of different hotlines that, uh, that you can call. Um, I will post them on Twitter. Um, you can always email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. If you feel that you're in this type of relationship or, or you know somebody that is in this type of relationship and you're trying to help them, uh, it's important to listen, to believe them, not to judge them. This is not about you. This is about them. And this is their journey. And they need to make the decisions, of course, ensuring that they are safe at all times, because emotional abuse can be a precursor to physical abuse. And, um, and there's also a massive risk um, to a woman in particular, when she leaves an abusive relationship, that's the time that her life is most at risk. And so it's very important to support the person, um, have them receive go get some counseling, get some advice, um, and, um, you know, take good care and understand what the risks are to be in a relationship with somebody like this. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Ella Dresner joins me on the line. She's a life skills and weight loss coach, and she works with women over the age of 40, helping them to lose weight by focusing on their mindset. Good evening, Ella. Good evening, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Thanks for joining I, me. Yes, thank you. My pleasure. Uh, you've chosen a tough group there. You've chosen women over 40. Now, they may have built up some self-confidence. They may be at the height of their careers. They may be perimenopausal. <laughs> uh, that's very true. That's very true. Um, and I've chosen that um, group specifically because I am over 40 as well. And I know you could be on the top of your game and career and whatnot, but at the end of the day, we as women face a lot of um, barriers in terms of how do we address and work on ourselves. We're willing to give everything to other people except ourselves. And yes. that's where I come in and help women to figure that out so their health continues to be at their best and obviously not affecting you know, their professional career or, or home career or whatever they're doing in their lives. Now, you've been a weight loss coach for the past three and a half years, but you expanded your consultation to life skills coaching because you found that weight loss was a goal for most of the clients, but there were more underlying issues. What were some of those issues you were seeing? What I'm seeing majority is um, experiencing a lot of, a lot of emotional um, fatigue, a lot of emotional instability, pretty much focusing on thoughts that's driving our feelings, and then it's just the spin-off comes from that. It is extremely important uh, when it comes to our body to have that emotional life because our feelings, it's, it's a type of abrasion in our body. So when we're feeding our body things that are, you know, sort of substance-altering to our mind and feeding a lot of sugar, extreme flour, things like this, then we're definitely altering and controlling the ability how our body acts and how do we produce and how do we react to things. Um, so my focus was let's focus on the mindset, and that's what I've been noticing because the typical weight loss that you see in people, they get excited. The first two weeks, very motivational. 
they go into I'm losing the weight and then they're stuck. And where are they stuck? They're back to their routines. It's the thoughts that start affecting them. And then they say, well, I'm not worth it. It's not working. I'm not going to do that. So that's where I come in and coach them through that stage of how to get past that stage. So you're seeing self-esteem issues and are some of those fatigue issues equating to low sexual desire as well? Yes, absolutely. And I think self-esteem is a big thing because remember when we outside um, in a career world and we have to be somebody else, we project completely different persona. But when we get home and we're in the comfort of uh, relaxation and uh, our comfort zone, then we become very doubtful of how much we can do. And if you're, you know, a corporate world woman and you have a family on top of that and other commitments, you run very, very low on energy. I'm telling you, by midweek, you're done. You're not even getting to the weekend with any energy at all. And and a lot of women are, are diagnosed with this sort of adrenal fatigue thing. We won't talk about that now, but it's sort of this, you know, it, suffice it to say, it's excessive fatigue. What do you suggest to some of your clients around this low self-esteem, exhaustion, you know, pleasing everybody except for yourself? Well, I had to do a lot of work on me, and uh, I always believe in whatever works for me. It could be a suggestion and a foundation to start with and um, see, tweak the things as we go. So a lot of things, you know, we start with sleep, and I so truly believe in that, and I've done so many, you know, ex- experiments and so much great, great information has been written about sleep. Um, you know, it's adding maybe half an hour to the sleep, going to bed earlier. And that's where I see the fatigue will improve within weeks when people start increasing their sleep. And as they go to bed early, it allows them to get up earlier a little bit as well once they start catching up on the 78-hour sleep. And when you wake up an hour earlier than your family does, which what I do, it allows me really to compose my thoughts, allow myself to journal, allow to, you know, to focus on you. That is your time before the whole crazy day starts. And it has been helpful, very much helpful to a lot of my clients that found maybe not necessarily journaling to start with, but start, starting with a sleep routine. And it sounded like some of the women were maybe medicating with food and or alcohol. Do you find that? Um... It's a very, very common thing uh, because what do you do when you feel fatigued and when you feel frustrated and have zero self-confidence? That's number one buffer. You either consume alcohol or you overeat because you always believe there's well, I might have, you know, I had three chocolates today. Well, let's just finish it up with the donut. Tomorrow is a new day. And you're setting yourself up for failure over and over. Exactly. So you have a Facebook group, a little challenge coming up. Um, so I do. that starts on March 1st. Um, so how can people join in on that? Um, if people want to go to my Facebook page, which is um, Fired Up Fit Couple, and uh, I'm happy to send all the links to you. Sure. Um, and just click under the email sign up. I'll be sending more information out in terms of how to join the group and what requires and how they can benefit from it. Excellent. You also host Sunday webinars, Sunday mornings uh, on weight loss and personal development. How can people access that? Yeah. And it is, um, it's on my personal page or it's also done in a group. So in my um, challenge groups that I do, I host morning uh, webinars on uh, weight loss. So, and the link will be posted as well. And so how can people find you uh, and also your Mastering Emotional Balance course, which is coming up on March 1st, 2020, as we mentioned. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Ella? Uh, 
Um, at this point, either my cell phone or my email would be a great uh, way to get a hold of me to get more information. I'm just in the process of finishing up building my website. Wonderful. Um, so it's, uh, it's under construction, but it's in the works. Excellent. Um, and then my email is my full name, Aladration at gmail.com. It's pretty easy, and I'll be happy to send more information if w- anybody has any questions. Wonderful, Ella. Thank you so much. I'd love to have you back, and uh, good luck with all of your webinars and your challenge. Thank you so much, Maureen. Have a great day. You're very welcome. You too. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.